Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My first guest this week is the great Bruce McCullough. Bruce is, of course, one of the founding members of the comedy team The Kids in the Hall, legends of 1990s weirdo sketch comedy. You remember him as unforgettable characters like Cabbage Head, Gavin, Tammy, and, of course, Kathy. What are you doing, Kath? Well, I'm going to go to one of those popular movies with Jill, Betty, and Beth. Oh, Then yeah. afterwards, go three ways on a large pizza. Uh-huh. And maybe watch a couple of hours of TV. Oh, great. You want to come? Oh, no. Um, I've seen everything. Yeah. <laughs> Kath, I really wish we did more, you know? Yeah. Used our free time better, planned more things to do. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like our lives are passing us by, and we're not even in them. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so do you want to come? Oh, no, thanks. I'm in my own groove. All right. You know? Okay. Well, whatever you do, have a good weekend. (laughs) The Kids in the Hall wrapped their original TV run in 1995. Since then, Bruce has been very busy. He's had acting parts in shows like Gilmore Girls, Trailer Park Boys, and Arrested Development. He has directed a few feature films and many episodes of television. He has recorded albums, written for TV and movies. And earlier this year, he rejoined the kids in the hall for a brand new season of television. Bruce also works as what they call a show business producer. His most recent project there is a sketch show called Tall Boys. It features four Canadian comedians who are, as the show's title promises, tall. There's Guled Abdi, who is six foot eight, Vance Banzo, who is six foot five, Tim Blair, who is six foot one, and Franco Wen, who is five eleven and a half. The show's first season just premiered on Fuse TV here in the States. Here's a bit from it. Uh, there are plenty of famous people from Toronto, including my guest, Bruce McCullough. There's also Catherine O'Hara and Keanu Reeves and Joey Votto. But these days, there is one celebrity in particular who has captured the imagination of Torontonians, one so ubiquitous, the tall boys made a PSA about him. Man's finished working a 12-hour shift when my boy Finn linked me and said, yo, come through. This party about to be litty. Trust! Fell asleep, though. Next thing, woke up to bear missed calls and a picture of him. I could have met Drake. I just left a pop-up dispensary, and I was on my way to a pop-up art installation. When I arrived, the crowd was a buzz, and there was a black SUV leaving. I just missed him. I quit American Apparel in 08. He shot there in 09. So, so close. I ride a bike, he rides a bike, so yeah. I I could have met met Drake. Every day, one in three Torontonians will talk about their near-trake experience. You don't have to be one of them. All I want to do is go on a tandem bike ride with Drake through the six. Is that so much to ask? (laughs) Bruce McCall, welcome back to Bullseye. It's nice to see you. So nice to be here. So do you get like a text notification when there's a hot new sketch comedy group in Canada? 
Um, yes, there's, but there is actually a thousand comedy troops here. I remember when we started, there was like three. Now anybody who used to want to be in a band, they're just in a sketch troupe. And there's a lot of them here. Did you see the Tall Boys at a festival or something? No, I actually teach sometimes at Humber College. I'd go and like, they'd show me work and I'd say, oh, it should end there or let's reblock it or whatever. And um, Vance Banzo, my my friend who also was born in Edmonton, I was in the class and I thought, wow, is he funny? Then someone said, well, you should see a sketch troupe. And so I saw them and they were so funny. And I said, let's do a TV show. They said, well, we only have eight sketches. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, we've got some work to do. It's going to need more than eight. <clears throat> <laughs> that was that was the origin of my sketch comedy career was somebody coming on our show 20 years ago and saying, oh, do you guys do stage sketch? And my co-host said, yes. And we had not. So you lied. This, this person got us some gigs and we had to <laughs> write some sketches. Did those not go well? I'm guessing those didn't go well. <laughs> they went fine. They went fine. We didn't get a television show, Bruce, but we right. did fine. We got paid to do sketch comedy. It was fine. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, it, it was the right place at the right time. And I, was, I moved to Toronto where the houses are really expensive. And I spent literally all my money on a house. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, if something doesn't happen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to starve. And it's like the next day, CBC said, we have to do this show. It's like, okay. And that's what happened. Fascinating story. So Humber College has like a, they have like a comedy program, right? They have a comedy program. And it's like such... You know, some people are weird. Some people are just sort of like telling their dad that they're going to college and this is the thing to go. And then some people are so talented. So it's like, it's, it's pretty fascinating to, to see these kids, you know? Eugene Merman did that. He went to Hampshire or something like that. One of the colleges where you can make up a major. And he, and, and he just said his major was comedy studies and just did comedy for college. Yeah, and it's pretty though. It's pretty interesting. I, you know, as I guess that's an old guy thing. It's pretty interesting to just see all these young people who don't quite know what they're doing. Some of them are really talented. Some of them are just figuring it out. And to to watch people and they don't even know how to be on stage and like it's or some of them are amazing on stage. It, it's pretty fascinating to watch young talent. Does it make you think about what you were like or wonder what you were like when you were twenty one? Um, yes, it does remind me of that. And it's also, I, I remember when I started and how nervous I was, you know, I did theater sports, which is competitive improv. And it was like, oh, we got, my heart was racing. And then I'd go and we'd do a 10 minute game and I'd think about it for, for a week. It's like, I was obsessed and so scared. And it's like, why, why was I all that? And I can see that in some of their eyes as well. What are the things that they need to learn about? What are the things that they don't get naturally? Well, one of, one of the things I love to do with young people is like do things like just come on stage, look at us and leave. Because sometimes stage presence, people don't understand stage presence or moving forward what that does literally in a space. And of course, you know, if you've seen my comedy, not, not some of it ain't so funny, um, which is don't try to be funny. Don't, it's not about jokes. It's often about moments or, or, or something, you know? And one of the f things I love to do the most is write sketches with a bunch of people. They'll pitch ideas and we'll go, okay, which one do we like more than the other one? And we'll f see which one we like more. And it's like, no, no, I think the, the young generation really have to learn competition as well. And one idea is gonna delight the group more than the other, and which is what happens in a writer's room. 
I get the impression that when you were younger and doing the kids in the hall, that that competition was always happening and always fierce. Well, yes. I mean, the contingent that came from Calgary, we were we were all mother and we no one taught us that we weren't supposed to fight. And I don't mean literally, but figuratively. Well, there was a few literal fights, too. Um, oh, oh, yeah, once Mark and I got into a fight at the bottom line, we were going out to do naked for Jesus, naked. And we, we started pushing each other with our little, our little giblets out. Um, but no, we, uh, we, yeah, we competed. And no one told us not to, um, probably to a point of, of it being uncomfortable. But Kevin and Dave, when we came and we met them, they were really, they were like gentlemen, you know, they were like gentle folk, and we were like, blah, 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 my idea, my idea. And it was like, it took them a little time to sort of stand up to us, because we thought, oh, no, they, they just kind of work for us. And, uh, but, you know, they eventually got into the, the groove of fighting for your stuff, you know? I will n- never forget the look in Scott Thompson's eyes when I had him on this show maybe 10 years ago. And he was talking about, bringing in his own stuff to, you know, group meetings or whatever for to, to the writing table uh, at Kids in the Hall. And this was, I guess, 20 years after the <laughs> events that he was describing. And just seeing the fire in this sweet man's eyes <laughs> as he, <laughs> like, just remembering fighting for his sketches. Well, you know, I, I do love Scott Thompson, but first of all, his stuff's always a mess. He always had like the wrong copy. It's like, Bellini, this is the wrong copy. And it's like, oh, no, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is. And it's like twice too long. And, um, and, he, go, ah, and he goes, ah, not even then, not even then. Like he's, he, it's like, think it in your head, buddy. Don't like, ah, they didn't even laugh at that. Okay, fine, fine. Breeders, breeders, breeders. Like, and he would, it's like, do you know that you're muttering during the entire, you're killing your own sketch by, by worrying about the reaction? Um, and he, I had, a, I had a poodle at the time. And I remember I would always bring her to, to all the read-throughs. And when everybody's, Kevin got pretty nervous for, for sketches too. And they would all pat her. And it's like, by the end of the read-through, they'd wear out her fur because they were all putting their stress into my poor Kelsey. (laughs) (laughs) What did the uh, tall boys ask you when you agreed to, you know, produce and and direct the show? Like, what did they want to know from you? Um, Like, they didn't, it took them a while to know that it was their show. And so they didn't know, like, what to do. And then it took them about like the first half of the season to go, hey, this is our show. And I kept going, whatever you want to do, buddy. Like, I'll just help. I'll support you and I'll get you what I can because I know the joy of having your own show. So I don't know if they wanted to know anything. They didn't know, like, you know, they didn't know how to act for camera. They were all real um, naturals. So I had to teach them how to act for camera. I, I put marks down on the floor of the rehearsal room and then I talked to them about eye line and and they asked about, like, what's the difference between TV and sketch or stage? And it's like, well, they were doing a lot of group going, huh, at w- once. And I said, no, 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 you, do, you don't do that on TV. <laughs> you can do that on, on stage if you want, but you can't be corny on TV in a different way because the camera's going to be right there. It's going to find you anyway. So, um, but they hadn't, they had a very short life and they just thought, wow, this is so easy. I just, we met Bruce and then now we're doing a show. Great. More still to come with Bruce McCullough. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. 
Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Bruce McCullough. Along with Dave Foley, Scott Thompson, Kevin McDonald, and Mark McKinney, he is one of the founding members of the Canadian sketch comedy group, The Kids in the Hall. They created a beloved television show in the 90s, along with a movie, numerous uber-successful live tours. They also recently returned to television on Amazon Prime with a great new season of their show. Bruce is also producing and directing the new TV sketch show, Tall Boys. Let's get back into our conversation. So we were talking before we went on the air about how I think that the uh, new Kids in the Hall episodes that are on Amazon Prime Video are really hilarious. Overrated. Does your <laughs> fair enough? Does your has your mind stayed in sketch comedy mode throughout? I mean, you've been directing films and and doing solo shows and blah 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 blah. But like, do you did you in the interregnum still like see something in the world and think, oh, sketch idea? I do. I think it. Sh- I think it slowed down a little bit because before I, you know, I was an idiot with my little books, writing down every idea and like looking for ideas. And is that a sketch? Is that a sketch? Hmm, bank machine. Is there a sketch about a bank machine? But yes, I'll get some. Kevin and I do a thing where we go uh, when we weren't doing the show. We were going. Oh, that would be a good sketch. Oh, we don't have a show anymore. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I think in sketch and I think in titles. Like if you look at the kind of things that I do, like super drunk. Oh, that's a good title. Um, I think in sketch titles, and I often get some, you know. I want to play another sketch from Tall Boys. So in this one, they're they're essentially playing uh, themselves hanging out together. And one of them sleepwalks and sleep talks, and they discover that it's, uh, his sleep talking is very real. Fence. Oh, yeah, buddy? It can be really off-putting. Oh, no. Huh. I'm constantly ranking and comparing the three in my head. He usually come out last. Huh? We should wake him up. Why? Finally, we get to know what Gulag really thinks of us. Franco? That's all I got. I barely think about you. Well, I don't think about you either. Jeez, that's rough, man. Well, at least he doesn't hate me. He doesn't hate me. He just finds me off-putting. Well, suck it up, baby. Where's all this anger coming from, Franco? He used to be so much more relaxed. Shut up! Shut up! All right, that's it. I'm waking him up. Tim, I think you're an awesome guy. Let the man finish. <laughs> Let the man finish. <laughs> what I really enjoyed about Tall Boys is, you know, a lot of sketch these days is made for social media and is really, is really sharp. It's really intense and it's brief. And you know, there's a few, there's kind of a there's kind of a gag that people are going to tell other people about. And often that's really great. And what I what I really like about the Tall Boys show is how sort of sweet tempered it is. <laughs> And like relaxed. And I wonder how much of that came naturally with them and how much of that is introduced by your direction because it it fits with your aesthetic. Well, yes. I mean, we connect with sense of humor, you know, like that that Drake one was like, no, guys. And they had a bad habit of like they'd get a great idea and they go, nah, it's like, no. I could have, I almost met Drake, a near Drake experience. That's a great, that's great. Don't, don't not do that. But they are, 
you know, they were the opposite of the kids in the hall. When I got with them, I kept saying, when do you guys fight? Like, and they don't, they're kind to each other. And I think that comes out. So they're really sweet. And when, when they do like, they do some very, fairly uh, edgy race stuff or they call it point of view stuff. And it's coming from these very sweet, sweet guys. And I mean, they can, they can be mother sometimes and um, they can get, can get a little stubborn about their ideas as everyone can, but they're really sweet. And they're like, oh, Vance, did you not eat? Well, we have to stop and make sure Vance, like, you know, they take care of each other in a way like kids in the hall wouldn't even notice if, you know, somebody was bleeding from the eye. We wouldn't have noticed. We'd just be reading our sketch and wanting our way. So I think, I think that comes off their niceness that you can see it in their comedy. How much of the relationships of 10, 20, and 30 years ago among the kids in the hall uh, were the same making a sketch comedy television show in the 2020s? And how much of those relationships were, were different? Well, interpersonally, they're not that different. I mean, the wonderful thing, the change that's happened in the world is like, you know, we were in the 80s when we when we started and it's like people on set would yell at each other. And if somebody, if the prop guy brought you the wrong prop, you go, hey, didn't we talk about this at the meeting? You don't do that now. They, they'd kill you. The, the union would shut you down. You have to be kind to everyone, which is fantastic. But I think together, I think we used to compete with each other more the first time around. And then I think now we just wanted the, the, the with this season, we just really wanted the best for each other. So I, we wouldn't, like, we'd always talk behind each other's backs and Kevin and Dave would be w- wondering what Mark and I are doing. What's that weird thing where they're shoveling coal? There's no jokes in it. And then now they just go, oh, we appreciate each other and I want their scene to go well. And I'd go, Kevin and Dave, oh, their thing's really good as opposed to, ah, are they doing that vaudeville stuff again? And so I think we really, it was us against, not the world, because the world was quite nice to us um, about our uh, comedy this or the way it was received this time. But I think we really was uh, us, we were together in a different way this time around. Were you worried that it was going to be an embarrassment? And I ask that because I was. Well, it's like when I went to see The Who the other night, you know, I, I, I'd seen them 47 years ago when I was 13. And it was like, oh, they're still really good. No, of course we do in a way. But um, we're kind of fearless. And, you know, I, I remember because we weren't sure if we were going to do it or not. And then I, and Mark's always the most reluctant. I, I, he's the one, I say he's the man who has a bag of flies because it's you, he's brilliant, but you got to talk him into stuff sometimes. And we went out for lunch and then he told me one idea. I think it was one that ended up going in the show. And I say, oh, he's got an, an idea, so we'll be fine. So I think we just think idea, idea, idea. And if you have an idea, it can keep you warm at night. It can keep you comfortable. And then you're not worried about how your show is going to be received because you know you like super drunk or whatever. It'll take care of itself. But of course, you know, and listen, we're not young, handsome young men anymore. I guess we were worried, but not really worried. You know, Bruce, what was the, what's the alternative? You're every bit as handsome. Thank you. I th- you I look gorgeous. You I'm looking at you through the video camera here, and you look if spectacular. You say Paul, if you want to say young Paul Newman, I'm, I'll take it. You've got a few sort of wisps droop, drooping down on your forehead. You've got really gorgeously shaped eyebrows. It's a wig. And a I'm little wearing, bit of... I'm wearing two girdles. You're wearing an eyebrow wig? <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, what didn't you expect about... Look, you had toured with the kids in the hall a few times. You had made some stuff with the kids in the hall since the television program and movie. It's not like you guys hadn't seen each other, but what didn't you expect about 
going back to make a sketch comedy television show, doing the thing that you do? Well, I, I didn't expect it would seem as normal as it did, right? Looking over and going, I've ran. Hi, Gordon. And, you know, it's like, oh, it's it, it, it was 25 years ago or whatever, it, 30 years ago. It, it feels like it was uh, two days ago as well. So I think, I think it's normal because it felt normal. And also ideas, you know, ideas can be dated, I suppose, but they don't age. They're, they're, they're timeless in a sense. Like, I don't know. I think it, it, it was shocking. It felt so normal to, to us to just be doing this again. Let's play a new Fran and Gordon sketch from the Amazon Prime Kids in the Hall show. Bruce McCullough plays Gordon in these sketches, and they, you know, they ran on the original Kids in the Hall show as well. In this one, they're celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. Gordon is going to take Fran, who's played by Scott Thompson, over the threshold of their home as a, you know, to honor that anniversary. But, you know, when you're old and maybe some people are less strong and some people are a little heavier than they used to be, um, <laughs> it, it doesn't always go smoothly. Okay, new plan. Oh. I'm going to lure you down through the basement window. Brian, what? kick the window open. Oh. Well, what if Mr. Lewis is home? Oh. What are you doing? No big deal. I'm just going to lower my wife in through your window. Oh, I don't know how comfortable I feel about that. Oh. What if I accidentally touch something I shouldn't? Like a naughty bee. Oh, oh why would you worry about that? Oh. I'm the only baritone in my church choir. I can't be me too. Oh. You don't look like a baritone. Not really. Onward, Christian soldiers. Marching That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Okay, let's do it. Let's do this. Oh, oh what? Something popped. What do you mean? I smell Benny. Oh, no. Gordon, I think you're having a heart attack. My husband's having a heart attack. So stupid. So, so stupid. <laughs> I smell pennies is when you have a heart attack. Apparently, you're supposed to smell pennies or toast. I thought yeah. toast is what you smell when you have a stroke. Oh, well, maybe that's it. I think Troubled Dad is pretty much 50% of your comedy. Um, look, there's other things. I'm not yes. saying that's the only thing. Yeah. It's just a, there are a lot of different Troubled Dads. Yeah. Well, and it's, aren't dads the funniest? Aren't they the, the funniest, weirdest people in the world? I mean, moms are kind of funny too, but dads are the, you know, and I had a, a, a hilariously, actually funny, but miserable of a father. And it's, it's an easy place to go. And it's, it's enjoyable too. Did your father think that he was funny as a, either of making jokes or that, that he himself as a person was funny? Oh, he knew he was funny, and he, but he, was, he made himself a joke a little bit. First of all, he had false teeth, which would always, whenever he got mad, would start to slip and would fall out. And he also had, in the old days when you used to have uh, ulcer operations, they don't, they don't give them now, he had an ulcer operation, and then it didn't go well. And then, so, so he had a weird thing, like a balloon from his tummy, and these, like, these scar going down his chest. And he'd always wear just like little shorts that were always showing his, what we call a sack, you know, and it's like, dad, put it away. And so he would walk around with no shirt, with this horrible body. Yeah, I think he knew he was kind of a weirdo, you know. But he was funny. Like, 
he made jokes. He liked and he appreciated. I mean, I love that his favorite thing from the kids in the hall show was the thing that was in the first episode, which is surreal, which is a weird joke I had, which is, hey, you millionaires, get out of that garbage. And then cut to a bunch of like guys in yachting wear and stuff. And they're, they're in the garbage and they run into a limousine. It's like, he said, that's the best. That's your best joke. It's like, really? I mean, I love it because it's so surreal, but I didn't think he would. So he did obviously have a good sense of humor. Did he think you were funny in general? Yeah. I mean, he was shocked that I got successful. And, but he was, he, and he was trying to, I remember after I I did a season of uh, Saturday Night Live as a writer, and then Lauren wanted me to go and meet with him again. And because he was, I think he was going to ask me to come back to the show. And I said, nah, I don't want to come meet with you. (laughs) And he said, you get on that plane and meet that important man. I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. And so it, it, it drove him crazy. And he could never give me any, you know, I raised myself essentially, right? Because he was such a boozer. So I did whatever I wanted since I was 12. You know, just take a, a sleeping bag and go sleep outside in the park with my friend. Like do whatever I want. He'd, he'd never go, oh, where were you? You know, and so that continued throughout my life. When my dad would come to my shows and he would have a good time. It made me so happy. Right. Like, not because I, I don't think because I needed to impress him. I just was really glad to like, be able to give him something that really meant something to him. Yeah. Like, what a nice thing to have your dad like your weird joke. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I was so funny because I, you know, when uh, I was talking to the Saturday Night Live people when Mark and I got hired as writers and so I went in to see Mark at Second Cup, which is a coffee shop that he was working. And I said, oh, yeah, we got it. We're going tomorrow morning, which he said, no, no, we, we, we got to get our paperwork. Well, we didn't get our paperwork. And so the first thing out of his mouth was, I can't wait to tell my dad. And I thought, huh, that is so curious because I didn't tell my dad. Like I was in New York for about two weeks when I find like it didn't. But I thought that was such a curious thing to come out of his mouth. I can't wait to tell my dad. Like, and of course, it's such a, it's such a bare thing and, I, and vulnerable. I, w- I was shocked he was that vulnerable with me because we were more like brothers who were, you don't, well, I, of course I care about you, but like to say, say that. So, yeah, but I'm glad that you have, uh, you pleased your father. <laughs> You'd say, when are you, when are you coming back and doing another one of those shows with your friend Houseman? No. <laughs> 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 my partner, John Hodgman, forever known as my friend Houseman. It will never be known as anything else. Right. Um, when you say raised yourself, did you have a, uh, that thing that many children of alcoholics have where you are torn between taking care of yourself and taking care of your family? No. I shot, like, I, I shot out of there. Like, I shot out of town. I was, I was out of there. I just went home to eat. Do you know what I mean? And, like, change my clothes for my other punk clothes or whatever. And all I wanted to do was move to Toronto, which was, and it ended up being for comedy, but it was m- for music because I was obsessed with music at the time. And I'd gone out when I was 18 and got two black eyes at Larry's hideaway. One from a woman, one from a guy. <laughs> and, I, and I just, Toronto was the place I had to be. So no, I, I, di- I didn't look back on my family in a sense. How did you uh, eat when you got to Toronto? Um, well, I was always, I've always found money 
some, I don't mean literally found it, but I, you know, I, I always had like uh, warehouse jobs. I'd worked at Canada Drive as a truck driver. I framed houses. And also there's a great thing in like warehouses in Alberta at that time where you would go to the foreman and you'd say, um, I'm going to move to Toronto. Could you say I'm on compensation? And they'd say, okay, sure. And then you get like checks <laughs> sent to an address and you're mailed to you for like nine months. And also- the theater that we'd worked at, Loose Moose Theater, is still there in Calgary, amazing theater. We had started doing our show, and it was like UCB, where no one gets paid, evil UCB. Um, or maybe some people get paid at UCB. Um, and theater sports didn't pay any of the performers. And so we started doing our own show. And then when we left, they gave us each $4,000. They said, because we'd been doing shows there for like a year and a half. And they said, well, we saved up all the money you made. Because we knew you'd be leaving one day and you would need it. It's like, and so we all had this, we had this cushion, which was amazing. We'll wrap up with Bruce McCullough after a quick break. When we come back, he'll tell us about the time he got into a knife fight with a cowboy over a feather. It's a rich life he leads. It's Bullseye from HeximumFun.org and NPR. Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. Hello, I'm Lori Kimmerton. We do a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show, and you could listen to it anytime you want it because there's hundreds of episodes. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing comedy forever, and we should both quit. So why don't you listen up <laughs> before we leave this not only terrible business, but this awful world. And find out why we can't. <laughs> because we love it so. <laughs> Jackie and Lori Show. Every week here on MaximumFun.org. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Bruce McCullough of The Kids in the Hall. He's producer of the new TV sketch series, Tall Boys. I went to Calgary one time uh, to do there. There's a big folk festival there, which is not a folk music festival, but a big music festival. And I had a great time doing that. And I was asking, you know, there's all these rock musicians and stuff and people that book rock musicians, all these cool hip people in this room. And I'm like, I've never been to Calgary and I don't have anything to do until tonight. Like, where is the neighborhood where it's like record stores and used bookstores or whatever? And all these like very hip rock and roll people all kind of looked at each other and said, uh, you can go tubing. <laughs> you can go tubing, they said. Nothing against tubing. Tubing's great, but you can go tubing. <laughs> and I can't imagine that it was better, hipper 45 years ago. So what made you think that you could be hip? Was it like listening to albums? Did you like get a subscription to... NME or something? I, I did. And Cream Magazine was my Bible, right? And anything, you know, I had two older friends who were, ended up being shadowy men from Shadowy Planet. They were two years older. So they said, no, first you're going to buy T-Rex. You you can listen to Slade too, but like, that's okay. And then next you're going to listen to Lou Reed. Oh, okay. Uh, you can listen to Mountain, but not too much. And so I knew that there was a world, like I hated Calgary. Like society is so messed up. You people are all cattle. You're all sheep. You're all stupid. And it was really in reaction Calgary to- Calgary cattle specifically, right? Yes. Which is like the heterosexual guys there were so- I do remember thinking, I wish I was gay. Like not because I really liked 
you know, I, I didn't like guys. It was just like, I don't, I so reject what, what these men are, these, these cowboys. And so I just couldn't be like that city. I didn't, I didn't realize its charms until I started going back after I'd moved to Toronto, but I hated it there. And I was, and I, you know, I provoked people. I, you know, I got in fights all the time. I would wear nurse's shoes and pink t-shirts and weird, three weird ties and a rope belt. And I knew that cowboys would chase me and want to fight with me. And I, I somehow, I guess I was so angry that I took that on. So yeah, I was, I, I knew that there was a place out there. And also we got all those bands. I saw T-Rex and I saw The Who and I, all these cool bands that came by. It's like, there's another world somewhere out there. I get called the classic gay slur while I was walking down the street in Calgary. I think it's the only time that's ha- that's happened as to me as an adult. Yeah, I think that could probably still happen. And also, they're playing a song called Patio Lanterns by Kim Mitchell, which is the only place. <laughs> it was so funny when we were touring with the, the troupe was we took the bus many years ago from uh, Edmonton to Calgary. And then we got to the outskirts. We saw a guy get out of a cement truck and pull a guy out of a truck and put his uh, sh- his shirt over his head like they do in a hockey fight and started just pounding him. And they were just, they just started like a full on hardcore fist fight. And I said, yep, we're in Calgary. (laughs) Did you ever, the other day I was listening to the podcast, Stop Podcasting Yourself. And one of the hosts, Graham Clark is from Calgary. And I was very surprised to hear this uh, hip thrift store comedian uh, describe his intermittent dalliances with cowboy hats. Did you ever put on a cowboy hat and give it a try? Oh, God, no. No, I hated cowboy culture when I was there. I eventually wore cowboy boots when I moved out to Toronto, sort of ironically. No, I actually got into a knife fight once in the Calgarian Hotel because there was a, there was a phase where guys would have little weird feathers on the front of their cowboy hats. And I guess I felt, you know, a, a couple beers, many beers in, that I needed to liberate that feather from that guy's hat. And I guess I didn't realize those. <laughs> this, I guess, this cowboy had a knife, and there we were. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say you got into a knife fight, you mean that you got into a fight with a guy who had a knife? Yeah. Oh, there was no knife for me. No, there was. I had no knife. And also, I'd, I'd get into bar fights, but that would imply that I was better at it than I was. I would mostly. I'd get pounded the odd time by somebody bigger, right? You had brought a stolen feather to a knife fight, as they say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but then I was, I, I, and then I wrapped my jean jacket around my arm. There's a, still got a scar on it. And then I just kept drinking. And then I was working at the warehouse at the time. And then I phoned my dad on Monday and I said, oh, I just fell off the dock and I really cut my arm. It's like, I guess that's what you do when you're 18. <laughs> so- I once, when I worked at San Francisco Sketchfest, filled in for a stage manager on your one-person show. And I remember that my job involved bringing you a Wendy's Biggie meal that I think you put in a blender and drank. That's but now exactly I'm worried that I, that's, is that really what you did? Yeah, I, 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 and ketchup packages and everything um, to uh, I Am a Lineman for the County by Glenn Campbell. <laughs> I thought that was just that was just the funniest thing, and of course I would make somebody also drink it with me every night. <laughs> um, 
So <laughs> I didn't I don't actually know why get I to did that. see much of the show because I was backstage getting a Wendy's value meal. <laughs> You've described what happened, but not why. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious. And it was one of those things that when you're doing it, the audience can't believe, they don't know what you're doing. And then they realize soon that you're going to be doing what you're doing, which is you're going to drink this at some point when you start to pour it into a cup. And it's just the greatest, it's the greatest scream that you've ever heard. What gave you the temerity to put something that was mostly you being weird with not a lot of joke in it or a, an image that you thought was amusing or whatever on American network television? I just think it's my thing. Like, you know, I, you know, my, you know, 30 Helens agree, which is a, a, a piece in the show, or the original Kitchen Hall show. I had actually written that as a promo for Saturday Night Live when I, the year I was there. And, I, and it was 30 Helens agree that Saturday Night Live is fairly good. <laughs> and I remember everyone there went crazy. It's like, first of all, we I, I didn't realize you can get 30 people to, to do that. Um, and it's like, what do you mean it's its fairly good? And where's the joke? Where's the star? It's like, well, I, I think it's funny. I don't know. I've just always been, well, I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> the prospect of you pitching that. At, look, Saturday Night Live is one of the greatest things. It's not about Saturday Night Live not being good. But just the idea of you sitting there Pitching this is an idea. <laughs> this. Well, I didn't get it. Vaguely, vaguely emotionally disconnected fantasia you've created. I know. It was actually George Meyer who went on to uh, do The Simpsons and a bunch of other stuff. He's like, what? Why are you doing that? And then it was interesting because we didn't fit in as Saturday Night Live, really. We didn't do that well. And then he came and saw the show, The Kids in the Hall, a, a few years later. And he said, I get it now. I get it now. I didn't get you. I didn't get you. I get it now, which was, which was very kind. Do you get a lot of people coming up to you and saying, it took me a minute to get it, but I get it? Well, sometimes people come up and go, I like most of your material. I was like, oh. <laughs> no, um, uh, no I, think if, I think if they are going to come up to me, they're going to say something nice. And one of the nice ones always now is like, my dad and I couldn't really talk and we'd watch your show and that's how we could communicate. Or, of course, a queer kid going, you know, I, I was up on the reservation and we, had, we saw your show and I was queer and I didn't know and, and thank you. Like, that's, that's the great one, you know. Bruce, I, I sure appreciate you uh, coming in to talk to me. I, it was really nice to get to talk to you. Thank you, Jesse. Bruce McCullough. The new series, Tall Boys, is out now on Fuse TV. It is immensely charming, very funny. Go watch it. And we also, we talked about the reboot of The Kids in the Hall, the new season of The Kids in the Hall. Uh, it is great. It is so funny. <laughs> Honestly, I was worried, what if it wasn't so funny? And actually, it's really funny. You can stream it on Amazon Prime. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Thank goodness. We finally reached sweater weather here in Los Angeles, which is anything below 80 degrees. And uh, unfortunately, it rained the other night. I don't know who you call when there's no storm drain by your house, so the rain just stays there. Hey, have you got an idea? Tweet at me, at Jesse Thorne. How about that? 
Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Tabitha Myers. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation. It was written and recorded by The Go Team. They got a new single out. Go check it out. Thanks to them and to their label, which is Memphis Industries. Nice of them to let us use that great music. Special thanks this week to Sarah Melton for recording Bruce McCullough in his home in Toronto. Bullseye is also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Find us there. Give us a follow. We will share with you all of our interviews. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.